there's so much empirical experience we have as investors in the space, as, as participants in the space now, that goes to show you uh, that there are emergent new things. People did not know about DeFi in 2017. It didn't even exist as a term, as a, as a concept, as a category. And today it's getting traction in a way that I've never seen with Bitcoin. Hunter, great to see you. We are live, my friend. What's going on? I can't believe I struggle like that. Pathetic. I'm so sorry. I thought you were, I thought you were a technology startup founder, Hunter. What the heck? Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm very sorry. No, no worries at all. We're, we're super pumped to have you. Better, better late than never. Um, uh, I'm going to do a quick intro here, Hunter, and then uh, a little bit of an agenda for folks who are just joining. Uh, we're going to talk about Hunter's background and what his aha moment was in Bitcoin and crypto broadly. Um, we're going to talk about active versus passive crypto management. It's a fascinating topic. Hunter's perfect person to chat with on the more passive side of things. We'll talk about time horizon, volatility. I want to get to your thoughts on how much crypto people should own in your mind. And I know it's disclaimer, none of what we're about to discuss is, is, is legal or, or, or investment advice. Um, past performance is not indicative of future results. So everything we're about to discuss here is from informational purposes only. We're going to keep it lively. Um, we're going to talk about Bitcoin versus other coins. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and get started? Um, Hunter, you're the co-founder and CEO of Bitwise Investments. Bitwise runs the world's largest crypto index fund. They manage over a billion dollars in crypto funds today. They pioneered the first crypto index in 2017. And before founding Bitwise, Hunter was a product manager at Facebook and Instagram. He was recently named one of Forbes 30 under 30 list makers. Hunter, super excited to have you on board. Great to uh, great to be with you and great to be with uh, with the audience here. I know that uh, Titan users are amongst the smartest investors out there. So um, hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll find this interesting. Um, but uh, but Clay, I love what you guys are building. And, and so looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. Likewise, uh, the clients appreciate the shout out. Um, maybe we'll just jump right in, Hunter. What was your aha moment in crypto and uh, blockchain broadly? Was it was a single unifying step? Was it a journey down a rabbit hole like many of us had? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think crypto is one of those things that does not sound like something you want to root for off the bat. If you say to your, you know, a family member, uh, you know, your, your, your mother, your brother, your son, cryptocurrency, it doesn't sound like part of a, a utopian future that, that uh, you'd hope to live in. Um, for us, we, uh, it, it was back in 2017 that, that crypto came onto our radar we had taken some investment capital. Uh, we're tinkering with different things uh, that we might build. Myself and my co-founder Hong Kim, uh, who's our CTO, did software security in the military. Um, and uh, and so we're, we're sitting around in this apartment in Haight Ashbury, tinkering on different product ideas. Um, and a friend from from Wharton actually pinged us and said, "Hey, do you remember that Bitcoin thing?" And we are not. OG 2012 crypto people. We had bought some in the past, but had basically forgotten about it. Um, and we said, yeah, I think I bought some on some on a website or something like that. I can't remember where. Uh, and we went and, and looked and, and uh, what, what really caught our attention is that there were giant spreads. So in 2017, there were 20, 30, 40% spreads between different markets. And we started out arbitrage trading um, those spreads. You arbitrage and, and, in crypto. I actually didn't know that about you. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's 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 where we started. This this far from what we do today, but that's where we started, and it was a fun thing to do. We made money, um, and it got us to spend time interacting with the ecosystem of tools, thinking about what is this cryptocurrency thing and what is it going to do in the world. Uh, meeting people, building blockchains, and and you know, I'll, won't go on too much longer about this, but um, obviously, what we arrived at is wanting to root for it. We came to this view that. Uh, uh, public blockchains can be a giant step forward in the way that humans around the world organize, transfer value, allocate resources. We can talk more about that, uh, but that it's a transformative technology like mobile, like the cloud, uh, and that we wanted to be a part of that. We saw a big opportunity, which is that it's too effing hard to invest in crypto if you're going to make a one to 10% allocation and it has to become a full-time job. It has to become your main hobby that that will be possible for some investors, for certain savvy investors, but will alienate uh, uh, large sets of investors. We envision a future where most Americans own crypto, and we think many of them are going to want it to fit into the rest of their investment lives. And so we said, wait a minute, there needs to be a firm that's uh, that's working to solve that. And uh, and that's why we got started with Bitwise. That's awesome. And I mean, I think we're, we're building towards very similar visions in one sense. At Titan, we're, we're an active management platform. Right, so we yeah. obviously believe that many markets there's behavioral inefficiencies. In some extent, to some cases, there's informational analytical asymmetries. Right, but at the end of the day, there are a lot of ways to make money in the world. Right, there are folks yeah. in passive and active equities, like we are on the active side. And similarly, I would imagine there's many folks in crypto. Clearly, given the bitwise growth, uh, where passive allocation make a ton of sense. But crypto is one of those markets where we our belief in the reason we're launching Titan Crypto is we think there's a ton of alpha that can be generated on both sides of the coin. It's efficient, it's inefficient, it's nascent. Um, institutional allocations are still quite low. Um, and retail participation is still very much, you know, the, the weak, not exactly diamond hands. Um, and uh, But I'll be curious to hear your take. Like, you know, you, from your side of the world where you're building, a, uh, you know, the vanguard of crypto in many ways, how, how do you see passive active? How do you see those those dynamics shaking out in crypto over the next few years? Yeah, I think that there are increasingly a number of different mandates, so to speak, types of investors in crypto. For a long time, circa 2017, for example, it was really the self-directed Coinbase user predominated crypto along with the, the day trader who might be getting leverage on Kraken or trading on Binance. And so the market moved in wild ways and tended to move around narratives and sentiment. Uh, and it was a pretty immature market. But but obviously in 2017, it caught the world's attention and grew to meaningful volumes, meaningful size, and new participants uh, have entered the market. So today we have a variety of different mandates in the market. You still have retail. You have the pro traders. You have the hedge funds that are running strategies, uh, using alternative data sources, uh, running models. You have the long only stakeholders like the venture capital firms who basically sit long beta in assets they've selected. Uh, you have uh, long term oriented investors who use index funds like ours, or they'll, they'll, they'll make the allocation and won't look at, uh, won't look at the investment from um, day to day. Uh, you have market neutral players, um, a, a variety of different strategies. So I think, I think that there's now a, a latter symphony of different investors participating, which is great for the space. Obviously, it makes a market, it increases volumes. Um, and I think there, there are sort of fluctuating opportunities across each of those mandates. Um, uh, and, and I think that for a long time, there'll be opportunities across each of those mandates. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because for all the talk about passive and active, even in a space as well trodden and established as equities, you know, obviously things are cyclical. That's our belief. And you've seen so many hedge funds and institutionals leave the active equity space and go on to venture or something that they think there's more opportunity for alpha. And I think these things are recursive in many ways, right? Or, or, or they're reflexive, I should say, as enough supply leaves, even mm. in a market like equities can have active management start to do much better than it has in the past. That's, that's a great point. You know, yeah, I, I just ahead. note that it's, it's interesting. You've seen some of that actually in crypto as well. You've seen a number of the, the firms that set up in crypto as hedge funds migrate over into uh, into a venture structure to give them a longer time horizon, avoid having to mark on a regular basis and probably other reasons. Um, so it's interesting to note that that parallel. Totally. Let's talk Bitcoin versus every other coin. One of the things that we have heard and have thought through is why not just put our clients in Bitcoin? Like if we're, if we're excited about crypto and blockchain and we believe to some extent it's maybe it's hedging inflation or it's digital gold or whatever your paradigm is, yeah. Why not just put our, our clients in the thing that is the most of the crypto market and in many cases may, many people believe will be the dominant thing. Now, mm -hmm. we're launching Titan Crypto because we believe there's a lot of value in active management of a portfolio of things that is not Bitcoin. And I can talk a little bit about our thoughts there. Curious to get your take, because even on the passive side, I think you and Bitwise would agree, given your fund trajectory. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so so I I, I don't know the, the particulars of of, uh, of how the strategy will end up rolling out for you. Do, do, do you plan for it to be long? We haven't, we haven't uh, shared that yet. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. So the way that we're thinking about it, I'd be curious to get your live take yeah. is yeah. is an actively managed portfolio, relatively concentrated, especially compared to a you know an S and P five hundred fund um, of crypto assets, where we believe there's an underlying paradigm that should, deserves a non-zero allocation. And that allocation will shift over time. And we're looking at certain event-driven catalysts. Um, we're gonna look at certain signposts like network usage and transaction value, and even things like social media activity. So there are certain signposts we'll use to say, should this be a 10% weight, a 30% weight? And that'll ebb and flow. And that's what our team of analysts here will do. But at the end of the day, we think about them like paradigms. Like you want a store value paradigm, maybe a medium of exchange, maybe a privacy coin, and kind of building out a concentrated portfolio of their paradigms. So that's how we're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. That makes 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 a lot of sense, and I think those are smart things to be looking at. So, so the original question: Why not just go long Bitcoin? The the, the, the answer is that in crypto, the, the, there are two things to, to, to think about in response to that. The first is that in crypto, it's just much bigger than Bitcoin. Why sit out uh, on the rest? It was a good uh, investment to go long AOL, Yahoo, Microsoft in those eras. Some of them continued to be great uh, companies. Others aged out. Similarly, at least our view is that public blockchains have useful capabilities that are going to be deployed with value in ways more than just the Bitcoin blockchain. So why why sit that out is, is a question. The more risky lens on it is that uh, be it tactical nuances or black swan events, things can happen to unseat Bitcoin, even if it is uh, the best candidate to be the largest uh, digital asset or, or store of value asset. I think that you're sort of seeing, for example, just in the last few months, an example of what that can look like around the discourse uh, on Bitcoin mining and the energy utilization of Bitcoin miners. And now the resulting attention from regulators which to some extent is, uh, is a shallow reaction, but could result in Bitcoin specific responses that completely unrelated to the technical merits of Bitcoin, the depth of liquidity, the market structure, 
the adoption, the Lindy effect, the track record, you know, you could end up with this arbitrary development in the market that impacts Bitcoin specifically in an idiosyncratic way and changes its, uh, you know, its expected outcome relative to other things. So there's two lenses that I would say, from my perspective, make it unattractive to just be in Bitcoin. One is why sit out the other things that are interesting? You can have a strategy that waits around uh, risk. Uh, and you can size your positions. And the other is if you're sort of blindly going long Bitcoin because it's been the most uh, compelling thing in the past, you are opening yourself up to the risk uh, of things that haven't yet come to pass or that haven't yet transpired uh, impacting the opportunity relative to what it appears to be today. Mm -hmm. Now, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, that's one of the things we're looking at is like Bitcoin dominance, right? It, it's, it's not only is, should you ask the question, how much should I have in non-Bitcoin crypto assets? But also, what is the overall market percentage adoption or, or market cap dominance of Bitcoin? What does that mean for those other coins? Because to some extent, there are some interesting in retail institutional dynamics where when Bitcoin dominance rises or falls below a certain level, that's a pretty good indication that there's a lot of shorter term minded folks entering the market. Maybe it's a good time to scale back that allocation. Yeah, that's that, that's very, very interesting. Just one, one other thing I, I would just toss in the bucket of. Uh, why I think it's a little overly simplistic to, to look at the whole space and say, okay, I'm going to disregard all the rest of this and say that Bitcoin is the only thing here. There's so much empirical experience we have as investors in the space, as, as participants in the space now, that goes to show you uh, that there are emergent new things. People did not know about DeFi in 2017. It didn't even exist as a term, as a, as a concept, as a category. And today it's getting traction in a way that I've never seen with Bitcoin. Uh, and it has real merits. Of course, we can get into the idiosyncratic uh, uh, compare and contrast on the two and people have different beliefs, but it has real merit, it has real traction, has real use cases. Uh, and there's a thesis there. You can size it how you wanna size it, but there's real uh, a, a real thesis there. And that wasn't even on the table if you looked at the space in 2017. Ethereum didn't exist in 2014. Um, and of course, now the space is changing even more rapidly because there are more venture capital firms backing new projects. There are more talented people. There's more modular open source code that you can leverage. So, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a fan of keeping it open minded. This space emerged unexpectedly. Bitcoin emerged unexpectedly into the world and it requires an open mind to contemplate the merits of Bitcoin. I just encourage investors to keep that open mind beyond Bitcoin uh, and entertain the possibility that there will be other things that, that are worth pursuing here. DeFi, I like to bring up because it's a tangible example and also because uh, it's a part of the space that institutional investors in many cases have more appetite for than Bitcoin. Um, and I think that's surprising. That, that's actually really interesting. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's really more nascent. Is that because that the, I mean, to one extent, it's like DeFi and like smart contracts, for example, like for these financial services, like is probably the thing that's most threatening the old money. So it, it, yeah. it, do you see it from a defensive standpoint? Like they're most interested in it because it's what could disrupt them the worst? It, yeah, it really, there's two parts. One is it really intuitively pattern matches, right? If you if you work at a hedge fund, if you work sell side, if you work at a financial institution, you're familiar with solvency, you're familiar with T plus two, you're familiar with settlement, with collateral ratios, all of the things that DeFi is chipping away at and, and running experiments on is your bread and butter. And so it resonates really well when you see something that innovates on a little piece of that, even in a way that maybe doesn't isn't as obvious to, to uh, the typical crypto market participant, it, it, it can really register for someone in financial services or, or in that field. The other thing is that for the longest time, Clay, 
people have had a really hard time wrapping their minds around Bitcoin because it doesn't throw off cash flows. It doesn't have income or yield. Uh, and, uh, and it doesn't really have a use case uh, in a payment sense or in other uh, utilitarian and, and exchange senses. And so those have always been the things that for, for you know, for, for smart investors who do their homework, they say, I get it. There's something exciting here. There's new technology. The, you know, the, the price is exciting, but I just don't know how to wrap my mind around where this is going to be at five years and, and how to value it and how to know where it's going to be. Um, and then people say, well, it's digital gold. And then a lot of institutional investors say, great, I don't like gold either. Congratulations on inventing digital gold uh, that presents new risks around an asset I didn't like. Um, it's a non-productive asset. In DeFi, you have a productive asset, which is the type of thing that most institutional investors do like. You have a, a disruptive new technology, which is the public blockchain. You have a use case, which is people leveraging those capabilities to try and improve on basic financial services. You have demonstrable traction, the, the, the decentralized exchanges, for example, doing more volume than many of the centralized exchanges, including Gemini, which is the Winklevoss's exchange and others. And they're throwing off cash flows. And you say that to a, you know, to a typical investor, disruptive use case, traction, cash flows, they say, tell me more. That's the type of thing I like to invest in. Equities right. is a $60 trillion market in the US. Gold is a $10 trillion market globally. Um, so uh, we found that you know, Bitcoin can take years for people, um, but, but DeFi is, is going much faster with many. That's not to say that DeFi is as proven or solved uh, as Bitcoin. I, it, it's just a good example to go back to the original prompt um, of how there can be emergent um, uh, corners of innovation uh, in the space uh, that you, you don't want to close off the, the possibility of. That's super interesting. And I want to go back to a point that you made on history. Like, I'm of the view, Hunter, that history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. But that's so hard to say in a market like crypto, because to your point, these like DeFi use cases didn't even really exist five years ago. And so when people talk, when a lot of people that I talk to think about allocation and sizing, they're like, well, how would this have looked had I owned it for the last 50 years? And what if it was a 3% or a 10%? That's just impossible to do because the asset class hasn't even been around that long. So how do you think about sizing? How much crypto do you think people should have? Acknowledging that we don't have the benefit of a, de a, you know, a century of history to understand how a certain allocation would have done for your portfolio. Yeah, so there's a few different ways people approach this. Um, what we tend to see, so, so you mentioned the outset, we're the largest index fund manager in the world for crypto. Uh, we work with financial advisors, investment professionals, hedge funds, family offices, high net worth individuals. So, so that's the audience we see. We don't have a you know an, an omniscient view. Within that audience, we see 1% to 10%. That's just consistently we see that range changed over time because like you know in, in 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 many venture businesses for example some extent in equities as the yeah. space matures and as you build more conviction you size up right so everyone yeah. knows about the guy who like guy or girl who put 50 percent of their net worth into bitcoin and they're like they're sitting on a yeah. beach somewhere in like turks and caicos but like yeah. for the rest of us you know yeah. does it make sense to start small and then look for certain signposts either myself or with my manager or with bitwise or with titan to, to, to then move that up? Like, I'm curious how that allocation has changed over time, if at all. Yeah. So again, I, I can share what we see. I'm not suggesting that it's the smartest way, the only way. Um, what, what we tend to see is people start at one to 3%. It's a comfortable space. When you model it, it does good things for sharp ratios. When you get above 5% or so, it actually starts to increase your max drawdown in a portfolio. 
So it quantitatively looks like it's adding risk in addition to emotionally adding uh, a, a sense of risk. But yeah. from zero to five, you actually reduce max drawdown in many allocation scenarios, at least where you're staying within the, the, the large cap assets. And, and again, there, I'm, I'm thinking about index funds. I don't know as much about the role active strategies would play. Um, so we see people mostly there. And then what, what happens a lot is that people uh, don't take money off the table. They, they don't rebalance it as the, the, the position appreciates. Uh, they stay long. And, uh, and so that position grows over time organically. The, the Bitwise 10 is up almost 400% over the last year. So if you started with a 2% allocation, you have an 8% allocation. We see almost no redemptions. Um, so, so those positions, I think most people are letting them run, but we see most of them starting that way because it's sort of an emotional comfort zone. And also it, it shows well on paper. Um, and, and usually you can, you can source the funds uh, pretty easily as well. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's fascinating. I think, you know, it doesn't make sense to obviously put all of your money in it for the vast majority of people, but uh, to have some skin in the game makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and go people, ahead. yeah, go ahead. I would just say people, I'm sure, I, I know that people go higher. I am personally higher than that. And, bet, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm certain, you know, I wonder, I wonder what Coinbase's numbers look like. I would guess that they're higher than that. As you go higher, I think the thing that you, you just have to, to get comfortable with is, uh, emotions are going to get much more involved. If you have a 2% allocation and the market pulls from 60 to 30, 30,000, people are really not losing much sleep over that. If you have a 50% allocation and you watch a quarter of your money go away, um, then, you know, then, then it's hard. It's hard to uh, not have that seep into your, your, your relationship with your significant other, the, your, your sleep at night. So, um, but I do think people go higher just as intend to be uh, the audience that we spend the most time with. That's awesome. Uh, so maybe hopping to Q and A, we have a bunch of questions coming in, Hunter. Some of these I think you'd they are straight in your wheelhouse. Some of these are more fun and maybe out outside of the realm of typical convo. But um, so Andre asked, uh, what do you think are the top five most promising altcoins and why? And obviously, disclaimer again, none of this is investment <laughs> advice. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts, specifically because you know you're building an incredible company, Hunter, in a space you know where your focus is on like the market's so big. Let's be yeah. the de facto allocator or fund manager. So you take yeah. more of a passive approach. But I'm sure you know my guess is that you're probably dabbling in some of these yourself on another uh, account off of off the platform. Sure. We yeah we we I'm I'm in our funds. We have compliance rules, but of course we we have views on the space. I I guess cool. I'm I'm very I'm very fired up about DeFi. I do not mean by that. I don't mean that DeFi is absolutely going to work out. Nothing is going to go wrong. The way it looks today is the way to look at the future, but I see product market fit and I see traction. The thing just keeps vacuuming up traction despite all the hurdles, despite all the problems. And that's such a classic product market fit scenario. Um, within that, you know, I think the top two assets, we have, we have a bitwise DeFi index fund. It holds the top 10 assets. We diligence them. We rebalance them. A lot of well-known people in the DeFi space are on the advisory council. But, but the top two assets in that fund, Uniswap, which is the largest decentralized exchange, uh, and Aave, which is a money market for borrowing, lending, and earning yield, I think that they're both very exciting. They have their competitors. So those are two that I would name. I think Polygon, Matic, which is a layer two, it's in the Bitwise 10 index today. So it's made its way into the top 10. It's, it's nowhere near Ethereum, um, but has efficiency and speed gains. I think that uh, that's very interesting as well. And then... I've just been sort of in awe of um, the ascent of Solana and uh, I don't own Solana, but um, 
you know, it's been sort of a force of nature to watch that the community um, around that thing form and, and pull other projects and services onto the platform. So uh, that's one that has my attention as well. I'm not recommending that these are uh, good investments and, um, uh, but, uh, but those ones that have my, have my interesting opinion. project to potentially some value. That interesting projects. And, and also, you know, I would say obviously the indexes on our website are all, you know, you can see the constituents. You can also look there at things that, that met our criteria and, and passed our diligence. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that was a great question. Just want to, again, shout out to at Phoenix Dre, uh, his Instagram handle. We'll give people some shout outs after, after this call, but great question, uh, Phoenix Dre. <laughs> you know, question. This guy is on fire because he actually just asked another one that we've thought very deeply about. And I'd be curious to get your take, Hunter. How do you think about valuing crypto? Like, how do you put a valuation model on something that has no cash flows? Yeah, this is, you know, you know it's so funny, just as, as an aside here. We used to get this question all the time in 2017 and 2018. And we have, we, we have gotten this question less recently. Maybe, maybe, there's, a, maybe there's something to learn about the market. Um, uh, based on that, uh, there are a few different models that we see people using. Um, we see people using a pseudo price to earnings ratio for DeFi assets for any asset that throws off fees. People are looking at relative, you know, the, the, the relative market cap to the, the fees that are being generated by, um, the, uh, the miners, the, the stakers who are processing transactions. So I think that that's interesting. Um, there used to be something, uh, a model that was more discussed called the, uh, I believe it's called the uh, monetary theory of money, but it, talk, it is a model that had four variables and it looked at how much value had to be transferred, how many units of currency do you have to, to, to complete all of those, uh, those transactions and, and, and how often do those, what is the velocity with which those currency units are reused? Um, uh, another way that people look at it is uh, comps. You know, I think a lot of people uh, comp and just say, okay, what are the odds that this thing can overtake Ethereum? Um, and what is the market cap of Ethereum? You know, you take that probability um, uh, uh, and, and assign some relative value. Um, and, then, and then I think the last one is people, you know, look at TAM uh, and say, uh, how big can this get? What is this uh, chipping away at? There are different mental models. So obviously that TAM and Bitcoin as digital gold is currently the predominant best understood valuation rationale and narrative, which is that is that, you know Bitcoin is going to chip away at the TAM of gold, which is ten trillion. Um, Bitcoin is currently, I believe, uh, around seven hundred billion, um, and uh, that, you know that delta represents room to run. Maybe Bitcoin is Uber and gold is taxis, and so maybe it outstrips gold as a way more useful version of gold, uh, and you wind up with with a TAM that's actually larger than the thing we have today. Um, I think that's interesting. I think that we're going to see the narrative shift uh, from the TAM being gold to the TAM uh, as, uh, you know, uh, the TAM being every other asset class. From our perspective, the... the Especially the, as you get into DeFi, right? I mean, the whole... Like, I've heard Bitcoin mentioned, ironically, as like, I saw an article recently, it was interesting. They mentioned Bitcoin is more of the bond proxy. Whereas mm. Ethereum and DeFi, getting more into the exclusivity, maybe they were talking more about price appreciation just relative to, to adoption and current market cap. But uh, yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think uh, there's a lot of value and, there. And also, Clay, you own Bitcoin? Um, I do. You own Bitcoin? Okay, great. Did you sell gold to buy your Bitcoin? I did not. Nobody did. I see what you did there. 
<laughs> I see what you did there. No, I, I trimmed I trimmed some equities. I was overstaying my welcome in. And this was yeah. back in 2017, pre-Titan. I everyone, everyone By the way, Hunter, everyone. I also dabbled in Bitwise 10. I'm a long-term fan. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Great, okay. grateful for I'm gonna make for, sure uh, that was on the record. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I think I think it's hidden in plain sight. You know, I think that the narrative holds weight that it's a digital version of gold, but in reality. I think if you surveyed everyone on this call and said how many how many of the crypto owners sold off a gold or a commodities position to buy crypto, it's probably less than ten percent. I think the actual reality is that everyone has a pool of money. It could be their savings. It could be the capital they manage for LPs. They're trying. They have some mandate. They're trying to grow it. They're trying to protect it. Whatever. And they're looking at a set of tools that they're allowed to use. It could be equities, fixed income, gold, commodities, derivatives, alternatives, private credit, you name it, real estate, uh, to accomplish those goals. And, and crypto has a shot to chip away at all of those. Um, different, different assets may look more appealing as an alternative to, to equities versus fixed income. Um, but I think the reality is the addressable market is, is the pools of capital um, that are currently leveraging those other asset classes to get low correlations or to get some income or to get returns, um, to have liquidity. Uh, and crypto, crypto has within it each of those elements. And so I think its addressable market is actually vastly larger vastly larger than gold. That makes so much sense. And yeah, the, the way that we're looking at it, because we, we recently bought some, some crypto analysts on board, that, some that come from the more traditional, um, you know, fundamental world, some that come from more of the yeah. macro and technical world. It's just a, like many, you know, business models and industries, like there's many ways to skin a cat, so to speak, right? So we're looking at on-chain, you know, market cap divided by certain on-chain metrics, um, network usage growth, transaction value, even things like social media activity. Like I would never think to value a stock you know, market cap to tweet length or something like that. But but in a market that's so nascent where the developer community and the vibrance and the engagement is such a leading indicator for traction and adoption, I'm just like so fascinated by how the, the, the market still believes that, yes, some of these, these coins do trade on like an Elon tweet. But if you start to look out and you're making a five, 10 year bet, our belief is that similar to equities, things will start to trend towards relatively consistent, consistently used fundamentals. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's really, you know, compelling. And again, you, you, you guys are experts there and not our expertise, but that, that resonates with me. Amazing. So I know we're running past the hour here. Um, by the way, a shout out again to Phoenix Dre for crushing it on those two questions. Um, that was really fun. Uh, last one from Tamer here. Um, uh, the handle is Tamer Rashdan. Um, asked a really good question. Um, and I think it's a good place to sign off just at the dichotomy between Titan and Bitwise, sure. active and passive. So they're asking, will Titan be long cryptos or will we also play on the short side? And it's so interesting because I don't think anyone really talks about shorting crypto because it doesn't even feel like something you can do. Um, and obviously there's Bitcoin futures, but um, maybe more broadly leveling up. I'd be curious to know, Hunter, how you think about hedging in crypto. Like in many ways, crypto was supposed to be the hedge for the equities, right? And now people are talking yeah. about, I can't really make sure I don't lose 10, 20% in a night on when SNL comes out in my Bitcoin. And I'm curious, yeah. do you believe you need a hedge in this space? If you want a hedge, should you not even be involved? Like, how do you think about that? Um, here again, two things come to mind. The first is if you're if you're staring at a at a screen, if you're staring at the Coinbase app uh, and Bitcoin moves down, then it can look like something you need to hedge. If you zoom out and are viewing it in the context of a portfolio that includes cash and equities and emerging markets and maybe some high yield, maybe some real estate, uh, then that's really when you see it start to behave is that uh, as a portfolio diversifier is a low correlated liquid asset. Um, 
And it's just sometimes easy to slip out of sight of that by putting yourself in a context where you're just staring at crypto and, and not considering how it's moved relative to, to, to everything else over a quarter um, or a longer time horizon. So uh, um, I do think a, a long position in crypto for many of our clients is playing that role. And it's just hard sometimes to have a lens where you where you can witness that people there definitely there's an ability to short in crypto um here i i i have a i have a little bit of a, a bias unless you're working with somebody brilliant like clay and titan a lot of people have gotten burned there's a few hedge funds that that shut down in march of last year because of a very idiosyncratic market structure development bitmex went down some of the most respected bitcoin investors uh, were short, uh, they got crushed, uh, and and they're they're out of business. So there's a lot of nuance to it, and you need savvy people like the staff at Titan to to guide you through that. For that reason, it's not uh, there's there, there are savvy traders that do it. Some of them get crushed and and sort of silently go home. Um, it's not as common in hedge funds anymore. Um, and, and of course, the predominant active investor in crypto today is is, is venture capital funds that are that are taking long views and, and picking specific names and then concentrating in them. So that's that's what that's what we witness. Um, but over certain time periods, people have wielded short positions to incredible outcomes, or even just gone flat. Right? That's the other thing some people do is they'll go flat. That way, they avoid the market structure risk uh, around using uh, short positions. Um, so there, there there are ways to wield it. Uh, I think some people, uh, our clients, say we're we're willing to sacrifice some return uh, to avoid that project. Um, but that's the power of something like Titan, which is. Um, you're going to give people who may not have access uh, to sophisticated management um, that ability to wield it. Um, I, I don't know if it'll, you know, where you'll end up on including in the offering, but um, it's an interesting element. No, I appreciate the kind words, and, and that's how we're thinking about it as well. You know, our, if you think about the world of investing in crypto or in equities as a matrix, you have short-term, long-term focused. You have active and passive. I'm of the belief that both Bitwise and Titan can can do incredible things in crypto with slightly, you know, different approaches from a managerial perspective. Um, uh, because we have that long-term view, we don't know, we don't feel a need to hedge. And so yeah, sneak peek, we don't plan to hedge in the near term in terms of how we're thinking about crypto. I do think rebalancing, which we didn't really get to in this convo does have, um, a, a real role. And I know Bitwise does it and we plan to do that as well at Titan. Um, but I think suffice to say like, you know, buyer, buyer beware, but in this space, I think it very, very much helps to have a long-term view. Um, absolutely, so maybe, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So maybe a great place to wrap up, Hunter. Um, uh, kind of a one-minute lightning round. I call long or short. Um, I did this with our with our friend Avichal last week, um, and I'm going to put you under the gun a little bit. And again, I know this is an investment advice, but I would be curious to get your rapid-fire take. You can only use one word for each of these. I'm going to throw out a topic. I want you to say long or short. I'm and not can... long-winded, so it'll be easy. <laughs> exactly. Okay. First one: non-fungible tokens or NFTs. Short. Interesting. Um, Semi-crypto related, Tesla. <laughs> this is my goal with this, with this one minute. Oh. Short. Okay. Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee, specifically. Could it be shorter? Virtual real estate. Long. Facebook. Uh, long. Uh, last but not least, Dogecoin. 
this is fun for you and painful for me. Uh, I, I, would, I would say, uh, I, I'd say long, long Dogecoin because the the space is yeah. going to grow so much that it's going to it's going to catch catch a trade. Fair enough. Um, love love the uh, very out of out of consensus views on a couple of these, at least relative to what we hear on the East Coast over here. But uh, always appreciate it, Hunter. This was fantastic. I was glad we can get some clients in the mix here. We'll, we'll definitely give them those shout outs and, you know, uh, stay, stay cool. I think it's, it's heating up out there on the West Coast and I look forward to seeing you uh, once it's all safe and, and once we're ready. Absolutely. This is a ton of fun. Thanks so much for having me. For sure. Thanks, everyone, for joining.